Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 4. Today we're going to go over the uh, story or the account of the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, what I want to do in this message is actually go through and show you how to read your Bible like a detective novel. Um, I'm not going to go... This isn't going to be an exhaustive uh, treatment of the woman at the well, but I've told you in past messages that to get the most out of your Bible, especially the Gospels, you read the Gospels like uh, John, uh, Matthew, Luke, and Mark uh, were writing like uh, detective novels. And in that sense of, they're writing with a purpose. They are writing to, uh, they emphasize certain facts over other facts. They leave out other facts altogether because they are looking to get something over to you. For example, uh, let me read to you John 20, uh, verses 30 and 31. John writes this, and this is at the end of his gospel. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples do, which are not written in this book. But these are written, what, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So that's at the end of his gospel. So when you go to the beginning of his gospel, um, that is what he's trying to get over to all of his readers. And that includes accounts like the woman at the well, And it's not just a newspaper account, it's not just a factual account, but we're going to go through it and I'm going to emphasize certain things. I'm going to show you how John weaves things into his gospel accounts that give depth to to the stories and also depth to the readers to understand that Jesus was the Christ. So let's get started over in John... um, Four, and I'm going to start with verse 3. And what you might do now is you might stop uh, the message and read all the way through from verse 3 to 42 and uh, kind of get a sense of what the account is about and then start the message back because I'm going to go through section by section. Now, John 4, uh, verses 3 through 6 say this, He left Judea, and departed again unto Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or is about noon. Now let's break this down a little bit. Um, because that just sounds like not too much is going on. But uh, if you go back to John 3, you see that in John 3, um, John the Apostle gives us the account of Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and as a Pharisee, he's a representative of Israel. And in John 3.10, Jesus says this about being born again. You know, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about being born again, and, Je- and it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, 
you're a master of Israel and you don't know these things? Because if you recall in John 3, Jesus talks about being born from above, born again, and Nicodemus is asking questions like, well, what are we supposed to do? Go back in our mother's womb? And he's totally missing the point of the spiritual aspect of what Jesus is talking about in relating it to natural. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? You know, you're a, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things. And then we come to John 4. So with that in mind, uh, you go back to verse 3. And it says, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, Galilee is where Jesus' uh, ministry actually uh, was popular and where he did a lot of the signs and the miracles about his testimony about who he was. Um, and in John, uh, in verse 4, it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, if you're, uh, you can look at the commentaries on this. And some of the commentaries try to reconstruct what the route geographically was, but that's not what John is talking about here. He uses uh, the Greek word must. It's not geographical, but he's talking about the leading of the Spirit. Let me give you some uh, other verses where he uses this Greek word must, just to give you a sense of how John is writing, what his perspective is in writing this gospel. In John 3.14, Jesus is speaking, and he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Even so, it is necessary that the Son of Man be lifted up. Um, another verse, uh, verse 30 in the same chapter. He must decrease, but I must, uh, he must increase. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus, but I must decrease. And then last one, John 9, 4. Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. So it's uh, to use this word must to go back to uh, verse 4. It said, and he must needs go, th go through Samaria. John's perspective is Jesus is being led by the Spirit to go through Samaria. So um, then he comes, then comes he to a city of Samaria. Now Samaria uh, is significant here because Samaria was not recognized by the Jews as being part of Israel. There was a dispute between the Jews and the Samaritans over the center of worship. The Samaritans uh, said that Mount Gerizim uh, was the proper place of worship, and they built a shrine there. Now, the shrine was destroyed by the Jews in 128 uh, B.C., but the Jews still considered the Samaritans to be half-breed and pretty much outside the commonwealth. So that's significant. You have the leading of the Spirit um, of Jesus going through Samaria, this uh, non-Israelite non city or um, region. Then he comes to the city of Sychar. 
near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now what that does right there is that refers back to the patriarchs. Um, that establishes the, the tradition of the patriarchs um, and the recognition actually of Abraham when you really consider it. And that's important as we go down through the story or down through the account, I should say. Now let's go on to John 4 uh, verses. I'm going to read verses 7 through 15. It's quite a long passage, but fo- you can follow along. And I'm reading out of the King James uh, just because I like the King James. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water because Jesus is at this well, at Jacob's well. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now let me stop right there. Uh, I want to go through the whole account, but let me just stop right there because that echoes the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Let me read to you from 1 Kings 17. Um, It says, So he arose, and that's Elijah, and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, that might not sound like a very big thing, but actually that's an echo that gives more breath to the story. Because that suggests, by Jesus saying, give me a drink with this woman of Samaria, who is, uh, who is not a Jew, um, that kind of sets it up for what? That suggests that Jesus is a prophet. It's kind of like a replay of Elijah, because the the widow of Zarephath was not a Jew either. So let's read, uh, let's go on reading in verse 8. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then says the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me? Which M, which am a woman of Samaria. Sometimes it's hard to read the King James. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman says back, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, "Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again." And he, obviously, pointing to the well. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now let's break that down just a little bit. I know that's a a lot of verses, but let's go. You know, like I said at the beginning, when Jesus says, Give me a drink, that echoes Elijah with the widow of Zarephath. Now, Notice that she says that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. 
And that's significant in this gospel, in the gospel of John. Why? Because the Jews were supposed to be a light unto the nations. And here she recognizes, uh, you know, Jesus. She recognizes what the social conventions have become by that time, uh, by that time in the gospels, that the Jews just did not, uh, they didn't, they didn't converse with, they didn't interact with, what, other nations. In fact, this is, a, this is a way of saying that the Jews were not being a light unto the nations. Now, uh, she says, For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answers and says, he doesn't answer her directly. And you know, that's interesting because when you go through the Gospels with Jesus, he does that quite a bit. I mean, people are complaining or saying different things, and he's totally focused on what his vocation is. And we can learn from that as Christians because as Christians, socially, you know, the, the idea is we're supposed to pretty much just uh, go along with what, what anybody's asking us for any kind of reason to be kind, to be you know, walking in love and the rest. But you see here, Jesus, he cuts to the chase. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. That's a role reversal. You know, Jesus asked her for a drink. And then he says, if you really knew who you were talking to, uh, you'd be asking me for a drink if you knew the gift of God. Now, one thing about living water is that has a double meaning, and there is a double meaning in John 3 with Nicodemus, because uh, you have born from above and born again. When you go back to the Greek, it can, it can mean either one, depend upon, depending upon the context. Here you have the same thing. Living water can be spring water, or you know that Jesus, as the reader, you know that Jesus is talking about the water of eternal life. The funny thing is, the irony uh, is lost on her, because she responds a lot like Nicodemus. She is trying to figure out the natural logistics. She is not getting the spiritual sense of what Jesus is talking about. Because she says to him in the next verse, well, you've got nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep, and where are you going to get this living water from? See, she's still thinking about natural logistics. She is not getting, uh, she's talking on a different level than what Jesus is talking on. And then she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Now, um, you don't see it in, in the Bible, but there was a tradition that the Jacob's well uh, was miraculous, and it was miraculous in its abundance. And that is what she's referring to. So this little well, and you can look it up, you can Google it. I mean, it, it's a small well, but here she says, hey, that well, he, uh, he drank himself, his children, and his cattle, all from this little thing. And uh, so... She says, the irony is, are you greater than Jacob? And the fact is, he is, but that's lost on her, at least for the moment, you know. Now, let me read to you uh, 
Um, let me read to you Isaiah 55, 1 through 2, because John weaves in with these stories. You hear these echoes of the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah 55 says, Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And what he's talking about there, uh, Isaiah is talking about there, he's talking about salvation. Come to, you know, everyone who's thirsty, come ye to the waters, and it's the waters of salvation. And that is an echo, really, of this whole account. And that's one reason why you see that the Spirit is leading Jesus over to Samaria for this whole account, because it lends, uh, what, depth to the whole story. Now, you go back to the account, and let's go to verse 16. You know, up to verse 15, like I said, she's just getting it on the natural level. She's like, well, where's your bucket? You know, you're telling me about this living water, and I see that you don't even have a bucket. Where are you getting this water from? And so, you know, what happens? Well, Jesus has a word of knowledge. And we read about gifts of the Spirit over in uh, 1 Corinthians he has a word of knowledge that really wakes her up, you know, because when you go through the account, said, hey, are you great? You think you're greater than our father Jacob? I mean, kind of like, who are you? You know, and then he says to her, hey, go call your husband and come hither. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, uh, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. Well, that wakes her up. I mean, she's not, she's not talking to some kind of schlub sitting on the, uh, on the well. She, that wakes her up, as it would anybody. It's the gift of the Spirit, what? that wakes her up, and she now she perceives who she's talking to. And that comes in the very next verse. The woman says to her, uh, says to him, Sir, or boss, I mean, that's one way to, uh, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I mean, that escalates the conversation onto a whole nother level, doesn't it? Now, that's one thing. Let me take a time out here, and let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit a minute, because I think it's important to see how this worked. The Spirit leads Jesus into Samaria, and while he's in Samaria, in fact, it leads him to this well, you know? Instead of him going into the city and trying to find this woman, it, the Spirit leads him to the well, and she comes to the well, and, that, and here we have the account. That's the way that the gifts of of the Spirit operated, we see how they operate in the Gospels. They support the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times, as full Gospel people, we want the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit to just kind of, you know, just come about just because they're exciting to us. But we, you see time and time again that the gifts of the Spirit manifested in the Gospels, what? To, uh, to keep the plan of redemption on track. 
Remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? You know, Jesus goes to this pool. The man's been crippled for 38 years. There's all kinds of sick people around, but he tells him, rise up, take your, take your mat and walk. But then we see later that uh, that causes a commotion with the Pharisees. That's one reason why the manifestation of the gifts of healing with that man at the pool of Bethesda took place because uh, you go through the gospel accounts and you see that that keeps the plan of redemption on track. The same with Lazarus. Lazarus was a manifestation of the gift of miracles. And what happened with the rising of or the raising of Lazarus? Well, that brought Jesus into confrontation with the Jews. And then, you know, we read in the account, and I, that's in John 9, uh, where he says, I told you, you would see the glory of God. What was the glory of God in John's gospel? That is crucifixion. So it's by the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit, the uh, gift of miracles, that Jesus says, I told you, you would see the glory of God, which the raising of Lazarus, you can see in John's gospel, set in motion the crucifixion. Amen. So, he's got her attention. And uh, so, now here is the crux of the must-needs to go to Samaria. This is where it gets, uh, this is the meat of the account. Part of the meat of the account, actually. So, she says to him, you know, I perceive you're a prophet, and says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's talking about the schism between the Jews and the Samaritans. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She believes she's speaking to a Jewish prophet, which in a large sense she is. And Jesus responds and says, Women, believe me, the hour comes, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He's talking about a change. Because right now, the Samaritans are at their mountain, and the Jews are at Jerusalem. And he says, well, there's an hour coming where neither one is correct. And then he says, ye, and in the, plural, it, in the Greek it's plural, saying, y'all worship what you know not what. And the reason why he says this is because they have, um, they've gone off track from, from the Jews. Because he says, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. You can't throw out the Jews when it comes to the plan of redemption. God used the Jews. He, first of all, he created the Jews through Abraham. And the Jews were the channel by which he brought redemption. So you don't get redemption without having to go through the Jews, actually. And that's what he says, for salvation is of the Jews. But he says that the hour's coming where things are going to change. And that is, is what? We know that to be his death, burial, and resurrection. And he goes into that in verse 23. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now stop right there and look at the depth of what he's saying. Because we kind of run over this and say, oh yeah, in spirit and in truth. Well, when you go back to the Jews, 
what was the big thing about the Jews? It was circumcision. It was, um, it was in a way, worshiping the Father in the flesh because the covenant was, what? By circumcision. And here he says, I mean, it's, it's a new revelation. And he says to this woman, uh, the hour comes when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, when you, um, she says unto him, I know that the Messiah comes. Now, in the King James, you have which is called Christ. Um, actually, the NRSV puts that the right way. That's a parenthetical that John puts in, which is called Christ. Because when you go back earlier in his gospel, uh, he says that. He says the Messiah means Christ. Uh, modern day, we say Jesus Christ, and it's almost like his last name. It's not his last name. It is the title. It, it is his vocation. It was his mission. He's Israel's Messiah. And that's one reason why you go back to verse 22, and he says, for salvation is of the Jews. And if you've heard our prior messages, you understand why he is crowned king of the Jews when he is crucified because the channel of salvation came through the Jews. But once that channel uh, was done through his crucifixion, you know, you go to Romans and, uh, well, uh, I'm not sure if it's in, it's in Romans. Uh, in the King James, it says that Jesus was the end of the law, and that's a poor translation. It should have been the goal of the law. The goal of the law was what? Death, burial, and resurrection. Why? So salvation could go to everyone, and it was not pent up to the Jews. And that's one reason why we're going through this account, because you're going to see that in just a minute. So she says, well, I know that the Messiah comes, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. Now, this is something that we miss being Western Christians. The very next thing that Jesus says, he says, I that speak unto thee am he, but when you go back into the Greek, what, does it, what is he really saying? He's saying that he's using the, uh, the divine name. He says, I am, am speaking to you. The divine name of what? Yahweh uh, in the account of the burning bush and Moses. I am is speaking to you. It's not just a prophet. Not just a prophet. But we usually miss that, you know, just reading, just going through these accounts and just reading them like newspapers. But you see how deep that is. I mean, what, what Jesus is saying that uh, the God of Israel is speaking to this woman because he is what? He is, <laughs> he is the second person of the Godhead, the God of Israel. Amen. So let's go on to... Uh, Let's go on to verse 27 through 30, and it says, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, 
Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. Now let's unpack this a little bit. You see at the very beginning that the, uh, the disciples show their own Jewish, their Jewishness. And upon this came the disciples and marveled, astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, uh, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? They're afraid of Jesus, really, but, but they still had that attitude. You know, they, they were Jews, and the Jews, again, were supposed to be a light unto the nations, but here the disciples are acting like, what? The Jews. And if you have any question about this, go back to our message about Jonah, the sign of Jonah, and you get an idea of uh, what the problem was, is that the Jews were holding back salvation. Now, notice this in this account. You see, you see the account of personal testimony. The woman, she leaves her water pot. Uh, you know, she, she understands that the conversation is not about natural water anymore. It's something a whole lot more important than that. And she makes her way back into the city and says to the men, come see a man, tell me that this isn't the Christ. I mean, that's one way of translating it. So they went out of the city and came unto him. It's a personal witness, you know? Um, now, notice, uh, and this is kind of blind to us Western Christians, these are Samaritans coming out to see a Jew, coming out to see what? A Jewish prophet. You know, uh, Jesus' pronouncement of the divine name might have been lost on the woman, but anyway, the Samaritans are coming out to see who he is, you know, because why? She says, this man can't be the Christ, can't be the Messiah, can he? And so they come out to see. Let's go through uh, verses 31 to 38. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So she's, uh, she's out to the city gathering, doing her personal testimony and gathering men to come back to see Jesus. And in the meantime, they tell him to eat. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer them directly. He's on another level. He says to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I'm sure sometimes it must have been very frustrating for the disciples to work with Jesus because they say, hey, you need to eat. And he said, I've got meat that you don't know anything about. And they're like, well, what do you do with that? But that's the way he was, and you see this in this in this portion here. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? And Jesus says to him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now stop there a minute and just think about where he is. They're in, they're in this Samaritan town, and the Spirit led him there. You know, they're at Jacob's well speaking to Samaritans. That is part of the Father's work. He's going outside of Israel. And he says, Say ye not, and he's quoting a proverb here. There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. He, he takes them back to agriculture, you know, farmers. He said, you know, don't you all say that, you know, uh, in about four months, the harvest is going to be here. 
And he says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereupon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you have entered into their labors. He's basically saying here, well, first of all, um, well, he's basically saying here that uh, it's, it's what theologians would call parabolic. He's given them a parable, and he's basically saying that the, uh, the reapers are overtaking the sowers, the hour is at hand, and the disciples are going to share in a harvest where they didn't even labor in. And, and what do we see in the very next verse? We see part of that harvest. We see what he's talking about because he says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that I ever did. So there's a harvest right there. Uh, the context is, this woman went around, gave her personal testimony to uh, men in the city, and, and they believed without even having to come out to see Jesus. And then in uh, 40, it says, So when the Samaritans were come unto him, there is a group that does come, they besought him that, they, that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. The significance here is a relationship. They welcome Israel's Messiah, and they are not Jews. See why John puts that in here. They're not Jews, but they welcome Israel's Messiah. Because you see, you see uh, the very next verse, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard him ourselves and know that he indeed is the King James says, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Other translations say the Savior of the world. Now, notice this because this is, this is so significant in verse 42. John, in writing his gospel, quotes the Samaritans and they say, we know that this man, that this woman met at the well, is the Savior of what? not of the Jews, of the world. He, John is telegraphing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because when you go back earlier in the account, what is it? Jesus himself says, for salvation is of the Jews. But John gets it. He understands that. And that so that is a demonstration of how to go through some of these gospel accounts, especially in reading them like a detective novel, in trying to figure out, well, what is, what is he trying to get over? What is the, what is the writer, uh, what is the purpose of having this account in the gospel? And then what it, he's written in a certain way, and he's included certain things like must needs go to Samaria. Why is he write it that way? What's the purpose? What is going on? 
And when you read it that way, you get a whole lot more out of it, and you understand the depth of the plan of redemption and actually the depth of the Bible that you're holding in your hand. So uh, that concludes today's message. Let me end with a benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good so that you may do his will, working working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 